Hello and welcome to Pop-Up Submissions, live on this 8th of May 2022. Today's theme is crime writing, which you might be surprised to learn is by far and away the most popular of all fiction genres here in the UK, accounting for 33% of all fiction books sold. The Victorian admonition used to be that crime does not pay. But if you're one of today's successful crime writers, then clearly it does. Speaking of which, we have not one, but two successful crime writers on today's show. In the form of husband and wife writing duo, oh yeah, R.C. Bridgestock. Together with the Latopia's very own John Duffy. Yeah, it's going to be a criminally good show today. Let's check out the new leaderboard for May. And soaring into the lead last week was 25-year-old Darius Morgan with Pause of the Past 1066, a delightfully whimsical retelling of history with animals as the main characters. An impressive 64 points there, but not, I think, unassailable. Let's get straight into our first submission. And here we go. It's from Michelle. Hello, Michelle. It's crime, of course. That's the theme today. And that is that is Michelle. Live in the chat room. What could be better than that? And it's called Heart's Heart. Do you like that title? I quite do. Reminds me of Heart to Heart. Do you remember that? 1980s, I think? 70s? <gasps> and this is Michelle's blurb. DCI Riggs has got his work cut out. The head of the vice department, Broderick Rickhart, has a soft spot for prostitutes. D.I. Rickhart wants the young prostitute, Callie Blythe, at a safe distance from her violent pimp, Jack James. The best way to do so is to get the victim care officer, PC Deanne Rivers, to talk some sense to her and to put the pimp behind bars. Getting Rivers involved proves to be a mistake as the case triggers nefarious plans for the abduction of the beautiful officer. Right. I'll tell you about uh, Michelle. You give your age. Um, Michelle, you don't need to, actually. You don't need to. I'm, I'm not going to be ungentlemanly and reveal that. Uh, I'm a woman from Liverpool living on a mountain in Wales. That sounds idyllic, actually. Probably isn't, but it sounds wonderful. I've recently finished a writing course at Oxford University, and before that I completed a short course on start writing fiction with the Open University. I've had four short stories published at Newport City Radio, along with several concert and book reviews. I love books, you say, and I think and hope and trust you're going to love this reading from Robert. Heart's Heart by Michelle, read by Robert. One, Detective Chief Inspector Lee Riggs. Solicitation is a bad word, Rick. DCI Lee Riggs glared at Detective Inspector Broderick, Rick Hart, who was supposed to be a key member of the Vice Squad. It's the oldest profession in the world. Says who? He waited, but Rick did not reply. His steel-grey eyes glittered with annoyance, but he dabbed it down well. Besides, last time I checked, it was illegal, and you are supposed to be part of the unit in charge of bringing it to a stop. He folded his arms and perched his bottom on the edge of Hart's desk. 
How can I let you continue in this department when you keep letting the prostitutes go with a flea in their ear? First of all, let's look at the definition of the word vice. Don't get smart with me, Rick. Just don't. It's their bodies. They have every right to do with them as they wish. I bring the pimps in, don't I? I don't let them get off lightly. There was an indignant edge to Rick's tone that he did not much like, but it was true. Hart made sure he had every hallmaster banged to rights. You're missing the point, Rick. This is your last warning. You do not let any other pros go without at least a fine. The DI tutted and muttered something inaudible under his breath. What was that? He leant in to make sure that he did not miss the mumble a second time. Yes, sir. That's better. Before we head in, what developments have we had in the Jack James investigation? Rick's mood visibly improved at the prospect of putting a violent man behind bars. More than anything else, Hart was renowned for having a particular dislike of pimps, women beaters and child abusers, which was why, when he transferred to Paxson Avenue Nick in Beswick Stanton, he had placed the DI in the vice department. The problem was that Rick did not seem to see that the prostitutes were as just as guilty. I am watching him carefully. The powerful desktop computer barely made a sound as Hart pulled up the case file on James. Patel and Robotham followed him from his flat at a little after ten last night to the ex-club in the city. He spent several hours in there talking to different patrons and left a little after midnight. He made his way to Branson Street where he met with several of the streetwalkers. Call them what they are, Rick. Ladies of the night. Rick looked over his screen at him and smirked. Money changed hands, and so did little packages. James then returned to his flat at a little after two. Was the girl with him? James had a prostitute under his dominion called Callie Blythe. The girl was 16 years old, but could pass for 12. In recent weeks, she had presented in public with several injuries. A black eye, swollen top lip. Once last week, it had got so bad that she had ended up at the accident and emergency department after she accidentally trapped her fingers in the door, breaking the forefinger of her least dominant hand. She could still give a punter a hand job. James had designed the violence that it did not do any major damage, but would keep the girl under control. His. It was a matter of time before the grip he had on her self-control slipped and Callie ended up either in the intensive care unit or worse, six feet under. The attacks were getting more frequent and violent as the time went on. No, but his charges are getting visibly younger. Would you say unnaturally, sir? They are borderline legal. I have had each girl checked out and they are 16 or over. Rick pushed his dark fringe back off his face before he leaned back and folded his arms. I'd say he was in contact with them before they were 16, but I can't prove it. I can prove he's dealing Class A's. I think that is how he is controlling the girls. Thank you very much, Robert. Fantastic reading. Um, let's go straight to the genius room. Uh, lots of lots of comments and thoughts. Hello, hello. Very huge letters there from IG. Hello, evening. Nice to see you, evening all. Um, and Chantal said something um, about uh, nomenclature. Not to be that person, says Chantal. But can we call them sex workers? And Annie, yeah. 
uh, echoes that. Uh, maybe cops will call them prostitutes or worse, but Rick could definitely call them sex workers. So that's interesting. Generally speaking, um, Matt says his charge is getting noticeably younger, is interested. I do think Michelle can write, maybe this just isn't the right place to start. Several people have said that. Um, and Vagabond says, I'm really sorry, this is not making me care. Yeah, I, I think that's possibly weakness. And Katie, uh, let's just read that out because Katie has always has very perspicacious comments. Uh, Katie says, hand jobs before tea time. Oh, gosh. Right, that's just got us demonetized from YouTube. Thank you, Katie. Uh, that blurb has got such a lot going on. It turned me cross-eyed. Title, okay, one gets it. Perhaps it's a bit over-contrived. And then there is that famous TV series. Of course, it is just heartbeat. So let's ask Bob and Carol, who between them, of course, have got 50 years of police experience, 26 murders, and um, consultants, really, on on some of the biggest crime series that uh, we produced in, in the UK. Can I just ask you to get a little bit closer together so we can see you? We don't often have two get that. Oh, that's so romantic. I love it. So so what I want to ask you... Not Friday. Well, that's a, that's, an issue, that's a private joke, something that happened before we went on the, on, on the air. Um, so let me ask you about something I was going to ask you about any, in any case, but it comes up now. The, sort of the realism of police life, does that reflect it? And then there is, of course, the police life that we read about and watch on the screen, which maybe isn't actually true to life. Right. To deal with the first part of it, uh, the realistic of it, I've just, I used to work vice, uh, so I can relate to Michelle's story and hmm. uh, I can see where she's coming from with the storyline, but the dialogue to me didn't move it forward as quick as it should. I was concerned a little bit about it because it seemed to go on and on and we didn't seem to move very far. I think realistically she perhaps tried to get too much into that first part of it uh, and to tell us the whole story. Whereas realistically, that could have been done a lot quicker. I think the dialogue between senior officers or whatever in that situation is much more fluent. It's, it, there's a lot of swearing probably going on. And like somebody said there, sex workers, uh, which they probably call them this day and age, uh, it depends what age era uh, Michelle's wrote it in, but prostitutes is an old worm, a word now. So from okay. that point of view. But there's a lot of funny things but the thing to remember I think for Michelle here is these girls are there for a reason to earn money because hmm. you know they've got probably got children they've got a, an addict you know an addict who wants the next the next drug the next fix then the pimps will take anything they can from them and uh, I think to me the start could have been more impactive I think yeah. it's got the makings it just could be more impactive can I can I just say from a first draft I think hmm. it's brilliant um, I think because um, a first graph, draft is often overwritten, as we know, I, I do it regular, um, and uh, it's got to be pulled back. But I think she's got everything in there that's the makings of a really good book. Okay, that's, that's, that's very encouraging. Hopefully, Michelle, if you've got any comments or questions, Michelle, now's the time. I'm going to fire them to, uh, I mean, it couldn't be it couldn't be better people to speak to, actually. You're so lucky to be on this show. As is everybody else, and uh, we are all town. There's a small thing I have to um, clear up before we come to Johnny and get his reaction. I, it's pass possibly um, a mistake on my part when I kind of implied that Bob and Carol had committed 26 murders. That's not actually true. <laughs> You've <laughs> investigated 26 murders, right? Yeah. 
yes okay yeah. so we're all yeah. happy there uh not lawyers at dawn let's see what johnny thought <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I've written here, um, I just found the, the dialogue a little bit stiff. Um, it still did at times, didn't flow, and probably because maybe, as Bob said, there was a lack of grittiness to it, perhaps it seemed rather prim and proper for, um, you know, for what would be going on in the detective's room. I felt also possibly there was a bit too much telling and not enough um, showing, you know. Quite so a bit, wasn't there, yeah. A, the, yeah, there was a lot of stuff just sort of, you know, was, was offered up as, as telling us rather than showing us. Yeah. And I think probably if you could sort of get a better mix, you could yeah. sort of pace, the, you could pace this a, a little bit better as well. Um, it was just one of those things that uh, also where you had a, you had the makings of the subordinate officer and his boss, you know, there's a bit of ang aggro there and I'm sure there probably is, but I think in the crime genre in particular, and as you said at the start, Pete, it's so, so it's such a, a busy area. Mm -hmm. You need something to make this stand out. And I'm just wondering about standoutedness at the moment. Um, yeah. it, it, it's, you know, as Carol says, it's got the makings of everything. It, it's got a, it's got a, elements of everything, but I, I would, I would be intending to sort of try and make it a bit sharper, if that's, if that's the word. I don't mean sharper from a writing craft, but edgier or something, because it's dealing with an edgy subject. Um, and just, Bob could answer this better than me, but you know, these, they, they seem to have quite a lot on Chummy at the moment. And I just wonder if they might've moved sooner because they know he's, he's possibly, you know, running on virtually underage girls and they know he's dealing in class A drugs. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. what, what's he doing out there? How come he hasn't had his collar felt yet? Yeah. You know, so I, I, yeah. I, I, that's maybe, yeah. you know, necessarily picking no, I, I just felt I, I thought that too. And the thing is that I, I, I'm, I'm totally uh, in agreement with that because, I mean, to genre fiction doesn't necessarily have to be that different. But to um, to have a standout, to have something that is going to get an, an agent's eye and a publisher's eye, and get their publishing might behind it, there's got to be something that's a bit distinctive that we get really in you know from either the concept or the first few pages. And if there is something there, Pete, Michelle, Pete, can I? Yeah, go go for it. Can I just can I just say something? Mm. Um, I think it's really hard from a crime writer's point of view, and I'm sure Michelle probably has, has thought this of the swearing you know like you said john um, and yeah. you know there'd be an awful mm. lot but but if we actually do put the sharing in <laughs> the swearing in yeah um, then we often get you know put down for swearing so yeah, it, it's getting that fine mix between hard, you know yes yeah. if you're in yeah. an, if you're in that situation there is a lot of swearing you know it's yeah. commonplace but put that in a book and you do get the critics saying you didn't have to say, you know, you didn't have to yeah. do that. You didn't have to say that. And it is a mm. real problem for crime writers. I'm sure that it yeah. is for me anyway. Is there um, still yeah. a lot of swearing in the workplace? Because I suspect that the way things have changed over the past few years, that's possibly less and less um, sort of acceptable. No. Or it's, no, it's no, still no. it's effing and blinding every every you know effing just, coffee and, and all that stuff. It's yeah, it's all like that. Is it? yeah. All right, okay. <laughs> that's, that's just that's just that's just, that's, just a, that's just that's just a female officers. I'll tell you. But no, I mean it's a culture. It, I, it is. I think I think you've got to look at where where you are, where you yeah. are in the country. If you're in the city centre, you're rural. What is what is the workplace like, and yeah. what is this, the outside of the workplace like? Yeah. Because you hear people swearing all the time, your kids swearing at bus stops. It's part and parcel of life these days. Yeah, so it's true. It's whilst true. It, whilst you don't need it, in, it's a bit like 
um, being too graphic about scenes. Uh, you know, the swearing can be too much, but there's mm. times where it just add, does add that grittiness to certain things. And mm. I think from Michelle's point of view, prostitutes get, and I'm saying prostitutes, but sex workers get mm. transported here, there and everywhere. They are money earners uh, for yeah. one reason, for, for, you know, to, to serve the, the pimp or whatever, to get the money out of them. But they are quite loyal uh, and John raised this about the timing of it. You want that person on your side and you want that person not to forgive the person who has looked after them in their eyes where nobody else has. You yeah. know, they have yeah. given money, they have given drinks, they have fed them. So it's a catch-22, but, you know, I've dealt with them and I think one of the things that you do notice immediately is from day to day or week to week we the girls is the violence and the the visual injuries you see on them mm-hmm. you know a lot of these girls if they're not at court they're in A&E yeah. and, and that is not by the punters these are by the pimps because they haven't heard enough mm-hmm. what, what does happen I mean th- th- this this question it was raised by Johnny but let me, this you know, it's going to be a long show today guys but it doesn't matter it's really interesting <laughs> so what what happens typically to to the pimps I mean do they is it is it hard to to get a pimp convicted and are they on the street again in a matter of months or, or what? No, they're not back quick. If, if, if the job's done right, you can take them off. Like John said, they're dealing in uh, A-class dogs. If you've got that ability to take them out and you can get them five years stretch for, you know, dealing in drugs, uh, it gets them off the street. Uh, ultimately, if you're looking for living off immoral earnings and things like this, you need to show their living standards that basically these people don't work so how do they drive the top of the range vehicles how do they live in this flat how do they have all this cash they don't you they don't have bank accounts they don't have this so you need to build up that that evidence to show this person literally has no means of getting any financial support other than crime Uh, and that takes a while to build up but once you've got it I mean, you know, it's a great feeling then to take them out of the game because it's a bit like if if you didn't have the receivers of stolen goods, you wouldn't have people committing crime. But like they say, well, you know, I think Michelle said it was, you know, it's the oldest trade in the world. It will not disappear. And it never has disappeared. And, And sadly, the young girls, you know, we know about, you know, County county lines with the drugs, etc. The oh, young yeah. girls really do get uh, drawn yeah. into it, and and the threats are not just against them; it's against the families. Really, that's mm-hmm. the other side of it. They threaten the family. If the girl won't do this, then you've got young brothers, your parents, etc. So it's a wicked world, but you, you've yeah. got to get in there and and you know take the and call secure out. the evidence. Yeah. yeah. So it depends where you want to go with them. You know. There you go, Michelle. You had it straight from straight from. I'm not going to call you horses. I mean, straight from the expert's mouth. You had a consultation. Sorry, we're rambling. No, not at all. It's it's gold dust, actually. Let's see. Let's see what your numbers are. I'd quite like to know. I'd quite like to know where it was going, actually. There you go. There you go. We want to know where it's going, Michelle. You've got you've got a very more than reasonable sixty. It's a very good start to the show. Let's see what's next. Okay, so Michelle is at the bar at a high 60. Let's see if you 
Masood can break that. This is another crime thriller. It's called Enemy Within, and this is Masood's blurb. Paul Richards, a former army ranger, enjoys civilian life as a private investigator, but when he witnesses the murder of a man whose secrets he set out to uncover, he becomes the prime suspect. On the run from the law and the outlaw, Paul goes on one last mission to hunt down those who framed him and clear his name. Let's see how you do this one. Let's um, let's hear about you. Uh, very interesting history here. Born and raised in Iran, I left the country after graduating the BA in English Literature in search of new experiences and adventures. I've since lived, studied and worked in four different countries, including a two-year stint in Sweden as I pursued my Master's in English Literature. How interesting. I also served two years in the Iranian Ground Forces. Wow. A character-building experience, I'm sure it was, and, and all of that and more, and a source of fresh knowledge which I tap into in order to enrich my writing. Absolutely spot on. The insight I've gained from my adventures around the world as a literature student, a former soldier and an immigrant has broadened my vision and helped guide my hand and passion for writing. And talking about passion. Should we get a reading from Ali? Yeah? Enemy Within by Masood, read by Alison. The Beauty and the Boy, January 1990. A new year had come around, and the green mountains of southern Vermont opened their embrace to the full force of winter, discarding their colourful autumn garment for a dull white dress which covered their vast. Overhead, silvery clouds of water vapour froze into unique clusters of crystals, which scurried down in countless numbers to add a relentlessly growing depth to the plain white attire donned by the forest. One such snowflake slowly danced its way down and landed on the nose of a youth who lay prone on the forest's cold but welcoming floor. The boy stayed motionless on the pale mattress, which seemed to stretch around him infinitely save for an occasional flexing of his toes or fingers to keep the blood flowing in his veins, as his father had taught him. He could see the older man moving at crawling speed to his right in his peripheral vision. The boy's father had left his backpack leaning against the skinny bowl of a spruce, since it had proved too bulky. To crawl with a huge load on your back was not only uncomfortable, but also advertised your position to predator and prey alike. It was one of those rare times when they both had dressed head to toe in white, unlike most instances when one needed to distinguish oneself from game. Today was not the case, as today they were hunting man. The youth had forced his father into taking him along. The old man was not happy, but he had brought him regardless, stating that there would be no time to waste trying to argue with a stubborn child. The truth of it was that the old man was proud of his son's conviction. The boy wants to help, not to have an adventure, he thought to himself, and that was good enough. They were tracking a former forest ranger who had kidnapped a nine-year-old girl named Jessica, and that was why Thomas had been powerless to deny his son. He had been ready to depart when the boy had shown up, all geared up and clutching his Remington 7 to his chest, demanding to tag along and not taking no for an answer, for Jessica was Paul's only friend. At first, Paul and his father Thomas had a straightforward job chasing the fugitive and his victim. All they had to do was follow the snowmobile ruts all the way to where he had abandoned the vehicle. 
The father and son duo had left their own snowmobile and began replicating their target's movements by simply running after his footprints. They had started the manhunt only an hour after the incident, yet the heavy snow which began falling shortly after they started trekking on foot meant the two had to look out for other signs soon enough. Paul noticed a white pine which had less snow on its lower right side branches and pointed it out to his father, who had nodded in approval, and following this trail they started past the pine. About twenty paces later Thomas had abruptly stopped, flared his nostrils and sniffed a few times as he moved his face side to side. He finally knelt down by the trunk of a balsam fir to his left. The tree's branches were hanging too low to the ground for a man to get under, so Paul grabbed a bunch and held them up as his old man inspected the spot. I think Jessica had to go. The smell is still strong, which means it must have not been too long ago, his father stated, and then got to his feet. We are on the right track, he announced. Paul did not know how his father could smell anything in that cold. His own nostrils were clogged, and he had to wipe his running nose every two minutes. Hi, so straight to the genius room as usual. Let's see what they are saying, even at this very moment. Um, yeah, now let me just go scroll. You've got lots of comments here, actually, Masood. And uh, you are with us. Uh, your your grace is with your presence on YouTube under the name Elusive Ruse. So I'm very happy to have our authors along live because you can you can ask questions as you do. Uh, good. We've been looking forward to it as well. <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a wonderful virtuous circle. Too many colours. Um, yeah, people are commenting on the title. I don't like the title very much. I think it's too much of a cliche. Someone said, I don't know who, I can't remember, um, that the title is... It's, yeah, here we go. RG, uh, Ronnie Worsley said, Enemy Within just makes me think of mid-1980s Thatcher and Miner's Strike. Yeah, if, you, if you're of a certain age, it does. Very literary opening, says Annie. I thought so too, and I thought that detracted from it. Um, but then it kind of turned, I think, and people are starting to warm up to the writing. Um, as Annie says, first paragraph was overwritten, but next paragraph picked up. And James says, yes, a literary opening, but, uh, but does it bog down and not get you into the action soon enough? I, th I think it does, actually. Um, yeah. Oh, look. And uh, Pamela Jo says, writer could do with Pete's blurb and title boot camp. That is... Uh, available uh, inside Latopia for free to, to full members, yeah. Because uh, it, it didn't sound like the blur, but now we're getting to it. Okay, and Hannah says, author can definitely write, but this feels too slow an opening for the genre. I agree with that. Let's see what Johnny thinks. Yeah, I would have to agree with quite a lot of that, actually. Um, firstly, on the title, the title didn't do an awful lot for me um, because it sounded so familiar. But then the opening paragraph completely wrong-footed me. I thought, oh, is, this, is there a mismatch here between the blurb yeah. and, and the actual story itself? And it was literary. It was written with a sort of... It was written well, but it, it, it didn't strike me as being the right place for it in terms of a story like this. It might have been an opening to some kind of great big cinematic scene rather than a, you know, a, a thriller. Uh, and then, as people have said, it did pick up uh, and we did get into the action, though I think we probably, again, as a little bit with the first um, submission we had there, we got into it. It told us a lot. And um, it yeah. was very it was sensory, and you did get a good feeling of the the snow and the, the coldness and the environment mm. they were in. But but equally, it didn't 
it wasn't, you know, it didn't sort of bowl along. It sort of just meandered along. And, and I think it's got potential from, from that point of view. It, can, it could pick up from there. Um, but a lot of telling and, um, but, but, but well written, comp- very competently written indeed. Yes, yes, I think so too. But um, I just I can't see it here. Actually, I'm sure he's here. I'm going to read it from a different screen. I said this. Um, Katie Allen is on fire today. I think um, she says the language is stately, and so is the pace. Yeah, what a nice way of putting it. But the camera lens is fixed too far out. Yes, it is. Need the camera lens to move in closer from time to time, or to put it another way, it's like one long note and. Uh, uh, Ronnie, Ronnie says, yeah, really good way of putting it, Katie Allen, and I totally agree with that. What did you think, Bob and Carol? I, th- I think, number one, I think people need to remember that, like we said earlier, the crime genre is massive, and you need to grip people from the start. If you're going to mm. send something to an agent, you've got to grip them from the start. And I think, like what's been said, you expected this to be well-written because of Masood's uh, past okay. there, and, yeah. uh, you know, his degrees, and um, credit to him. And, but to me, it could have started way into it, you know, where they've come across the tracking and followed it, and it has to be snappy. It, you read this, and I can see people just putting it to one side, saying, mm. well, where does it go? But you've got to get under the skin of the reader straight away. I think it's quite, I think it's quite um, common for a first chapter to be overwritten as well and I think we do as writers we do do that and we go back and we over and we write and we write we want it right we want it you know and we can't decide what to be taken out of it so I think it had really kill your darlings well eh? with a, mm. an edit yeah mm. I, I, you know yeah we try to we get the, do it. we, we, we try to get the story in yeah you know and, and we I, can't see the wood for the trees and, you know in the end because it's simply, our work simply I think back to uh, a program we on where you, you know my name is so and so I'm 25 years of age I'm a negotiator uh, you think your life is bad you know you ought to look at mine I'm divorced I've three kids uh, I've got you know I care and within a sentence you give somebody a background totally. and, and I think we, we try to create the background and the characters all too quickly whereas I think really you want that in there straight away with some of the story and then you can slip the characters and the details in as it, as it travels. Yeah, as it the literary travels. stuff, yeah. But overall, mm-hmm. uh, it's there. I just think it needs that manoeuvring. Yes, yes. Okay, so I'm going to say, Masood, that... Um, I probably, I, 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 okay, so looking at your, your blurb here, um, one last mission to hunt down those who framed him and clear his name. And we, you know, that's not original. We've seen that many, many times before, decades, probably centuries, I don't know. And I'm looking for something that's, um, that's original and distinctive to you. You know, what is it? What is it about you that's going to make people buy this? And I think it's maybe it's your voice and um certainly the first paragraph nearly killed it for me because it really stilted actually i didn't know where you were going with it i need more voice i need it to be less writerly less verging on the literary actually um you make it more vivid more immediate and um, a distinctive voice and you know you might hook me on that let's look at the numbers you got a 57 so far just under our previous submission but they can change as more and more people vote in the genius room let's now see i tell you we're doing a new thing all right a new thing which is this (laughs) 
facebook.latopia.com. What does that mean? Well, why don't you type that into your browser and you'll find out. In the meantime, possibly coincidentally, possibly not, Bob and Carol are going to tell us about persecution. What's all this? And where do you go, Carol? Persecution. Well, persecution is the third of our Charlie Man books. Um, and again, it's fast-paced. Um, it's about it's from a local university, um, and someone's breaking into student bedrooms through the windows. Um, so one of the fears of parents and and of university students that they're obviously their children, their siblings are not mm. safe. So we got we're going for the jugular really on this one. Yeah, Excellent. And it, and to me, this this is an intruder uh, that breaks in. Oh, I'm saying breaks in. Uh, it doesn't physically break in. He climbs in. Uh, but he takes nothing. Hmm. So what is he doing? Yeah. What is yeah. he doing? And I think as it, the story continues, you'll find out that. But there is a link then, and it yeah. shows that this person uh, does actually progress to murder. That's very uh, good. But everything links in as you go to it. But it's fast, it's moving, it's different. We like it. Um, the, the public, that so far our readership, like it. Yeah. Uh, and it's doing very well. Yeah. So... Uh, I'm sure your fans are, are going to lap it up. But just, I've got one or two questions I want to ask because you, you know more about murder and murders than, uh, <laughs> than, than possibly Putin. I don't know if that's a compliment. <laughs> but uh, if, No, it's definitely not a compliment. But um, do, do murderers in, in real life, do they feel remorse? Well, that, every, every individual's different. Uh, some do, and it depends what it is. Uh, you know... I think I don't know if I mentioned it on this show before about the the young man that killed his mum, then tried to commit suicide. He failed mm. in his suicide, having jumped off a bridge, served his life sentence, pleaded guilty, did fifteen years. Then when he came out, he went back to the bridge and oh killed God. himself this time. Oh uh, and some people do show remorse, but a others lot, are just pure. A evil. lot don't, and a lot issue threats in the courtroom yes. uh, towards police officers, to family, or they just yeah. laugh. Or yeah. they'll flick the V sign at people, uh, and to me that is is total arrogance. Uh, it should be stamped upon. Are they psychopaths? I don't like it. Yeah. yeah. So, and and what I don't like is when people, uh, you know, you get your murderer that spends. There's a five week trial, six week trial, and then when it comes to sentence, because you know he gets found guilty, and the judge is going to bring him back the next day to sentence him, hmm. and he f refuses to come out of his cell. So yeah. they sentence him in his absence. And it's all about human rights. But for me, they're, they class it as an assault to, to bring him out. But for me, there it should, this day and age, be made, if he's sat there all along, be made to come back and listen to yeah. his punishment. Yeah. But no, it's remorse is not something that you see a lot of. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. Well, revenge killings, all right? What the French would call crime personnel, revenge killings in, in the heat of the moment. Are they given less lesser sentences, more understanding in, in British courts, or is it all the same? No, that's our latest book. Oh, Vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers here. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Going today, well, it'll, yeah, go, yeah, yeah. it'll go tomorrow. Like, no, yeah. It'll go Monday morning, it'll be on, heading its way to the... Uh, but is, is there a book. degree of sympathy in the courts for people who, you know, act out of, out of passion or revenge or something like that? Well, it depends if it's premeditated or not, Peter. I think what okay. you've got to look at... Are, Every case is different, every yeah. murder is different, and if anybody says that a murder case is easy, they're wrong, because to look at what, what you see is not always what 
has happened or what's took place, you, you know, the background to it. Premeditated murders means people have planned. If it's the heat of the moment, then you can understand it. If somebody has been persecuted, hmm. uh, you know, a long time, and, it, and it's they flip suddenly, hmm. or if it's an instant reaction, hmm. then you look at the circumstances. You know, it's like pleading guilty. They will get discount at court for pleading guilty. Yeah. Why, I don't know. Because if the evidence is in abundance, I don't see why that should make any difference whatsoever. Yeah. But it, you have it's to look at each though, one. It, actually? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, for good behaviour and pleading guilty, mm. you know, uh, you can get a lot of time off. You know, you can get mm. sentenced to 15 years and you can be out after nine. You know, and you can be at an open Blimey. prison. You can be at an open prison in six yeah. if you're the model wow. prisoner. What I mean, difference does it make? You've we're talking about somebody, Boris Becker territory here, well. aren't we? There's not much difference, really. Well, yeah. Fiddling a tax or, yeah. or slitting someone's throat. Quite strange. Well, Quite odd, that, but really. But you don't say 15 love at the end of it, do you? Exactly. You know, game up, game. You, game what, over. What we should game be say, over. What we should be saying is, like Cal says, game over. <sighs> Absolutely, yeah. Grim, well, hear me here. It's, it's, it's difficult. You know, I mean, some are extreme violent people, extremely yeah. violent people, and... Uh, they listen to nobody uh, and yeah, they've no communication yeah. skills it's pure pure violence yeah yeah good all right uh pure violence here persecution oh, i see bridgestock bob and carol there it's their, their latest and greatest and you can see how they do it there you go book.latopia.com should we have a look at our third submission shall we yeah Oh, thank you very much, Elisa Fruz. Nice, nice to get some feedback on us because we're giving you feedback. It's a mutual process here. This is from Mark. It's the apparition. It's crime slash suspense slash psychological legal thriller. That sounds interesting. That's uh, piqued my fancy. This is Mark's blurb. The truth shall set you free. But for young lawyer Jackson Price, it just might cost him his life. A popular priest is accused of a horrific assault and tied to the murders of two other women. Jack Price and his mentor, Billy Torres, race to uncover the motives of the accuser. At the same time, detectives uncover a checkered past of inappropriate contact with women and mental health issues. The case may hinge on the truth of a paranormal apparition and the impact it has on everyone involved. Hmm, I like the sound of that. Let me tell you about Mark. I'm it's the author of two, yeah, two previous thrillers: <laughs> The Silence and the Dark, 2019, and The Silence and the Death, 2020. I'm also a career criminal defence trial attorney, specialising in the defence of serious and complex felonies. I provide expert analysis in criminal cases on national and local news outlets. The apparition is based on two of my actual cases. How intriguing, and even more intriguing, will be this reading from the wonderful Barbara. The Apparition by Mark Carlos, read by Barbara. One. She pulled herself along the dirt using her forearms. Thick, sharp gravel pierced her skin as she made her way to the road. Her left eye was swollen, shut, and the vision in her right eye was hazy. She could see the lights of passing cars, so she guessed the cars meant a road. A road meant people, and people meant help. She didn't want to die in this dirty, untended bush with safety less than a hundred yards away. 
As she dragged her body, the woman tried to remember what happened and why her legs were not working. She stopped, rolled to her side and looked down her body. Her beige skirt, covered with red dirt and blood, had hiked up to reveal deep gashes across her knees. She could move her arms, but the rest of her body wasn't responding. It was the pain. It radiated everywhere. She was certain that, if she had a mirror, her face would be visibly throbbing. Her ribs were sore on both sides. Every breath she took sent new agony through her body. She propped herself up on one arm and looked towards the road. It seemed further away than when she started. Panic set in. She didn't want to die out here. She brushed dirt and blood away from her eyes and dragged her hands across her chest to wipe off the mess. The hand stopped at the shredded opening in her shirt. She could feel the viscous warm blood around the tear. She slid her finger into the tear and instantly knew her finger was now in her body. She tried to scream, but nothing came out of her mouth. The wound was high up on the left side of her chest. Moving her hand around the wound, she tried to remember on which side her heart was. A vision of an elementary school poster of the human body flashed through her mind. Whatever side it was on, she knew that she had to get to safety or she would bleed out. She dropped back down to her forearms and began to pull herself to the road. Each time she pulled herself forward, the pain through her ribcage made her want to vomit. As she moved, the woman tried to remember what happened. Why was she out here? Nothing. She could not pull free any nugget of memory because her mind seemed to be wrapped in the moment's desperation. She dragged herself what seemed like hours, but was most likely minutes. She didn't know. Finally, she could see the demarcation between the dirt and what looked like asphalt. The road. She had made it. The whir of the passing cars grew louder as she forced herself out of the brush. She made it onto the shoulder of the road. The bitter-smelling pavement brought new torment as the hard surface scraped her skin. She waved an arm at the passing cars. The blinding headlights blended into a glaring sea. Cars continued to pass. No one stopped. Help! Please help! She felt like she could only mouth the words. She spit up blood. She heard the screech of tyres on asphalt behind her. A car had come to stop. She could hear the doors opening and people talking. Footsteps now quickly coming her way. She looked over but only caught the hazy image of bodies coming her direction. Her head felt like it was about to explode and she dropped back down and rolled onto her back. The night sky was filled with stars and she stared up at the crescent moon. When she reached up to wipe the blood and tears from her eyes, her hand brushed against her neck. She felt the chain around her neck and followed it down to the front of her throat. She felt the crucifix. A feeling of relief rushed through her body. She didn't know why, but there was something. The voices were now close. Are you okay? A male voice said. Oh my God! A female voice. Call 911! The man yelled. As she stared into the sky, she lost herself in the beauty of the night. We got a little bit of additional uh, uh, authorial correction stuff there that I don't think you wanted to send as Mark, but don't well, don't worry about that. We don't take that into account. So I have to say, uh, the genius room has come up with undoubtedly the best joke of the show. If we can, oh, wait, wait, it's gallows humour, guys, but we can do it. So Andy, who of course is a Litopian, a very well-known television journalist, uh, and he he's often a guest on pop-ups too. He says, "I'm covering a really interesting court case at the moment." where a kid pleads guilty to killing his nan. And uh, Ronnie Worsley came back quick as a flash and said, Nan slaughter.
don't know how we feel about that but uh i thought it was quite funny what do you think yes yeah, yeah. what do you think john <laughs> good one um the, yes this is this is probably got more of what we were talking about these things should have it, it opens with a a very sort of um intense bit of action uh it's visceral it's sharp um my only comment about it might maybe it goes on a bit too long for my liking i think you know three yeah. pages or two and a half pages of, of this woman who's obviously in, in great distress and has been the victim either of an attack or an accident or something like that and i think we could have got the car arriving a bit sooner but having said that you know the, the prose was great um the the sense of place was great um the urgency of it was great as well uh and you did get this feeling that perhaps has been missing before and then is it original probably again but i mean it'd be very hard to find something which is original you know totally original in the genre so i think we've seen books start like this before with somebody who's in, in great distress or who's been attacked or whatever mm-hmm. uh, but i think this has been well handled and it's strong um and it has the makings of something pretty good i think that's great fantastic good thank you very much johnny and bob and carol uh, I agree with John. It seemed to, it, it, it's a lot better at the start. It was good. Uh, it gripped you. You wanted to know what happened, but then it seemed to go on and on yeah. and on. And and it, there was, you know, there was a, just a bit too much of the it, same thing. Of the same thing, but yeah, mm. it did draw you in. Uh, it got you interested. Uh, well written, uh, and I think, like John said, you just need just need it to. <coughs> dilute it not in in the wordage you know but and actually we could got we could have got more into that do you know opening what, bit do you know what i'd have quite like to see i'd have liked to see a bit of a sliding doors going on hmm. because i think it was quite good that we got all that information but it was too much on block hmm. you know like if there was some sort of i don't know like i said a sliding doors sort of i don't know what was happening at the at the other end if you like in between, I think that had worked really, really well. But that—that's what I do to Bob's. <laughs> All right, I do. Is that no, right? I put it back. I put it back. Oh, put it back. I put yeah. it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need good, to get into this. But a good. St- you'd expect it to go be, be a defence yeah. barrister, and you know the yes. story. Yes. Oh the, the wow! Yeah. Cr- crime is covered. So. Well, we're getting yeah. to Michael Connolly here, John Grisham territory. Uh, yeah, I'm smelling megabucks. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, um, I, I once again, <laughs> there seems to be general. Um, agreement as always is in, amongst the genius room um, a great great start I think if I to say that everyone's really interested in the ghost oh yes uh, and then Jane said a tad long I'm crawling here <coughs> Stacey says I was totally into this I think the pain was a bit over explained and Annie says needs to be a wee bit of an edit started to drag and I think that's right it, it's a strong start but you know it's like a moonshot you've got it you've got to start strong and when the boosters kick in you've got to go even higher and, and faster um, let's look at the numbers for you Mark so far oh yes look at that not unhappy at all you can't be unhappy with that mark you got a 67 unless you get some very low marks in the next few seconds in the genius room i think that you're so far so far our, our monthly winner but of course we do have one more submission to go no we got two more to go someone's got to say it a lot of writing courses and seminars out there are horrifically overpriced Litopia's writing seminars deliver practical knowledge you can use <coughs> at an unbeatable price. Learning the tricks of the trade shouldn't cost a fortune. 
Litopia's writing seminars give you what you need to know without fleecing you. And here we go. This is from Gerard. Gerard Poulain. Gerard. I'm going to call you the English one. It's crime, espionage fiction. It's called Operation Stormwatcher. And this is Gerard's blurb. When the CIA learns of an assassination attempt on Kim Jong-un during the 2018 Pyeongchang, or Pyongyang, Pyeongchang Winter Olympic Games, they assign agent Mike Porter to go undercover to Camp Humphreys in South Korea to prevent it. While there, he stumbles on a human trafficking ring involving the woman he's fallen for and headed up by his unit's commanding officer. With the 2018 Winter Olympics drawing near, Porter is on the clock to end both the ring and the assassination attempt. And about you, Gerard? I'm a professional business consultant, entrepreneur and US Armed Forces veteran. Having spent considerable time in South Korea and Camp Humphreys, I possess a keen understanding of the culture both on and off that particular military installation. And, uh, oh, familiar name here. We have, um, you're going to be uh, blessed and deigned, actually, by a reading from the uh, inescapable, omnipresent John Duffy. Operation Stormwatcher by Gerald Powellin. Read by John. Chapter 1. January the 18th, 2018, Misawa Air Base, Japan. A new world order. This meeting had the potential to shape it, violently and without regard for human life. Yet only a handful of people are aware of its even taking place. Undercover CIA agent Mike Porter sat in the car park in the recreation building's parking lot on this frigid day, with the engine cut and the lights off. A car's headlights reflected off Porter's rearview mirror. After the glare, he recognised the shape of Air Force Staff Sergeant Orson O'Hara's Subaru SUV as it pulled up alongside his Toyota sedan. O'Hara got out and walked to the driver's side window, tapping it lightly. Wearing a swollen white parka, the pudgy O'Hara resembled an oversized marshmallow. Porter opened the door, just a crack. We'll take my car, O'Hara said. Just get in, Orson. We don't have all day. If you want to do this, we're taking my car. It's not up for debate. Porter thought the challenge, but believing O'Hara would kill the deal if he outright refused, Porter pulled the key from the ignition, grabbed the briefcase and got out, locking the car via remote. The briefcase contained agency-altered cockpit navigation circuit board schematics for the Lockheed Martin F-35 aircraft. After getting in the Subaru and buckling up with the briefcase at his feet, Porter was keenly aware he handed O'Hara control of this engagement. O'Hara drove towards the main gate. Where are you taking me? Porter asked. O'Hara scoffed. You make it sound like I'm holding you hostage. Ever been to the beach? Sure, last summer. Why there? Should be empty. Porter didn't doubt it. Misawa is seasonal, with a harsh winter beginning in November and ending in April. Even now, snow spit against the windshield, prompting O'Hara to flip on the intermittent wipers. The Subaru continued to the main gate, with both men speaking sparsely, their usual dynamic way. Porter knew little about Orson O'Hara, even after a nine-month acquaintanceship, and he liked it that way. It wasn't that Porter disliked the man, he just didn't find O'Hara all that interesting. On last meeting, they kept their distance. They didn't socialise together or acknowledge one another 
on base or off. With Porter working for Base Logistics and O'Hara on the flight line, their paths didn't cross during a typical workday anyway. The agency had O'Hara in their crosshairs when they assigned Porter to make contact. It hadn't been easy reeling this fish in. The purchase and sale of top-secret technical data carries the potential of a life sentence in a federal prison if convicted. Porter had no idea how the agency caught on to O'Hara, but their suspicions were on the money. This man was a player. The front gate lights came into view. Glancing at the authorization sticker on the bumper, the MP waved them through and they entered Misawa City. O'Hara took a right at the first stoplight, heading east. Porter recalled the beach was less than four miles down this street. Though not yet six o'clock this morning, the northern Japanese city's commercial centre stirred. A pachenko parlour they passed was doing brisk business, cigarette smoke billowing from a poorly lit room through a partially open door. Down the sidewalk, under a street lamp, young boys gathered at a vending machine to purchase their choice of soda, cigarettes or beer. Several restaurants and retailers loaded goods from the back of double-parked trucks. Soon, the city gave way to residential darkness. The car's headlights splashed off the windows of the modest cookie-cutter Japanese houses, so compact and so close together. Most had wisps of hot air coming from the roof vent. Porter smelled sea air. Without warning, the car veered off the paved street to the right. There were tar tracks in the snow leading to the ocean. O'Hara parked the car behind an oversized sand and snow dune, shielding them from the highway. He cut the lights and ignition. I need the process to miniaturise, O'Hara said. A knot formed in Porter's stomach. You have enriched uranium? O'Hara scoffed. For a while, but we're still behind the eight ball arming a missile or torpedo. Is that something you might be able to acquire? Jeez, Orson. That's a pretty big get. Yeah, it's a big get, but that's what the book depends on. I'm, I've got a feeling. Uh, quick cut to the genius room. Uh, Matt um, says, uh, yeah, actually, this is interesting. He makes a good point. We're not, we don't often see Ung as victim, do we? Interesting. But then James um, injects a, a note of reality and says, why would the CIA stop this? <laughs> I think we do need, we need that explained pretty soon, actually. And Stacey says, no, let it happen, let it happen. And uh, Andy says, I can see Gerard's laptop being hacked by North Korea as we type. Johnny, you were the narrator, you got inside. What do you, what did you think? It was a kind of a mixed bag for me, um, Pete. I, I thought it, 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 it was... It was reasonably well done, but but again, it felt very familiar in, in some mm. respects. Um, and again, we had quite a bit of telling, and we we did have a bit of um, tense uh, shifting going on as well. Yeah, Tenses it was. seemed to shift in, in, a, in a couple of occasions, so that that needs some attention. But I, I think also another thing, which so we we heard about him getting into the Subaru, and the other guy got into the the Toyota, and then he got back into the Subaru again. And these mm. are sort of incidental details. I think that sometimes people think I'll put that in because it shows I've got an eye for detail. Mm. And it it rather sometimes draws me out of it. You know, a car is a car in this context. There's no real reason to know the make and manufacture of these cars, not unless you're getting a bung from Subaru, perhaps, because they got two mentions <laughs> against one from Toyota, but but it, it's just one of those things that sort of draws me out of the story a little bit. I, I find, I mean, I find it competent and workmanlike, but it didn't really, you know, get me going particularly. Um, right. And as Matt, I think Matt or somebody in the, in the, in the um, Genius Room did say, yeah. it's interesting to maybe semi-base it around a real event, Perhaps. Yeah, 
Definitely. Uh, I, I just feel we want a bit more pep again, a bit more oomph to um, Yeah, yeah. The, the sort of the journey to the beach and all the descriptive stuff was fine, but it didn't really move the story along a lot. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely some interesting elements there. Like, you know, as everyone is saying, why do we want to stop him from being assassinated? I mean, that, that's very interesting. Mm. That reveals, you know, a bit of a subtext going on there. Uh, Katie, I'm going to have to read this, guys, because Katie is definitely on fire today. I would read a, I would read a book like this, she says, comparable with Stallion Gate, Martin Cruz Smith, or The Fist of God, God Freddie Forsyth. I was thinking about Freddie Forsyth, too. Uh, 2018, the so-called Peace Olympics is watching re-murder of King Jong-un's brother last night. Were you? The voice is good. Structurally, I feel it needs reorganising. Feels like I'm being buffeted this way and that. Yeah, I felt like that too. Bob and Carol. I think a lot's been said. Yeah. Um, I just wonder how many gears the suburbs has because it, to me, it stayed in first and second. And, you know, uh, the, the, the amount of what you could get out of the drinks uh, vending machine. We seem to get told what you could get out of the vending machine, which lost me. I just thought, well, and like somebody said, is it about detail? But the one thing about surveillance is that you blend in. You, you don't stand yeah. out. And, yeah. you, you know, if, if you're on something like this, I don't think you care about what comes out of a vending machine or what vehicle you were, it was in, as long as it didn't stand out. And there was a lot of telling going on. And I was waiting for it to, and, uh, you know, uh, for Gerard, I was waiting for it to gather pace and, and let's get this show on the road kind of thing. But mm. it never did for me. You know, yeah. I, 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 you okay. know, I'd, with this one, I'd probably go to the next chapter, and if it hadn't picked up, I'd probably put yeah, it to one the, side. Yeah, the micro detail actually bogged mm. down a bit for me. You know, it lost yeah. my. I was trying to think about what you know, what something had looked like um, that didn't really matter. You know, yeah. I, I need to, I need a bit more. Yeah. And again, it, it's got the makings. Yeah. It's there, the story's there. I think it's just looking at what you impart, want to impart to the and reader it, to it, keep it the from interest. And it's as well. Yes, exactly, exactly. But I mean, to be fair, I mean, you know, Tom Clancy in his time, he did a hell of a lot of telling too. Mm -hmm. A lot of his books are full yeah. of telling, but he's kind of telling about stuff you want to know about, like how do you really, you know, disarm a nuclear bomb and stuff like that. It's not really about vending machines. So, yeah, all right, fair it enough. Struck, it struck me as this was, sorry, Pete, it struck no, me as on. this was more of, of, of the sort of genre fixture we talk about. This yeah. was probably more on point for genre, fix, genre fixture. Yeah, yeah, fiction. Sorry. Yeah, um, uh, yeah fiction. That's the word I'm looking for. That's um, yeah, it, 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 it seemed like that, you know, and, and you could imagine a series of these perhaps. Uh, yeah, you know, I think set so. Set with, with this character. So I all, think all so. that worked yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, Gerard, uh, so far, uh, you've got a 58. Who knows? That could go up uh, in the next few moments or so. I want to come back to Bob and Carol, please. This is your website. That's the, the book we've just seen. It's book.litopia.com for the next six and a half days. If you hit that uh, that link, then it will take you straight through to the buy link. There's probably a discount there, too. So there's no excuse for not getting into Bob and Carol's <laughs> fiction. Um, I want to talk to you about um, this, this publisher. They look like fun, Canelo. Um, totally, well, it's fairly new, isn't it? What, about five, six, seven years old? Digital yes. first, specialising in certain very interesting genres, and, and there you are, one, one of their key authors. Tell us all about Canelo. Yeah, they, they actually took us uh, took our whole back uh, catalogue with the D.I. Ah, Dillon series wow. Wow. Um, when we moved from Dermhood Closed Down. Um, so therefore, yeah, they took the whole series, which are the D.I. Dillon nine book series is, uh, is on ebook with them at the moment, where you can still get the, the books that are available 
yeah. um, you know, still. Um, and they took on, obviously, the new series, the new um, oh, Charlie Man series, which has been optioned for TV. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so, um, yeah, so there's four books in that series. And, and just for people listening, Payback, if they go into Payback, Payback, the first book in the series, is actually free at the moment. I can see it on the screen there. <gasps> it's the F word. It's free. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and how do we, we get that? Like uh, what's, what's, uh, if I knew yeah. that, I'd have put a link up to it. How do we get that? How do we How do? Yes, uh, is, yeah, is it, is it go to the, the Canelo website or something or what? No, no, go to Amazon. Amazon, Amazon that's, it's free. that's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, okay. yeah, you don't need to go to Canelo. They're all on Amazon. Okay, yeah. well, if you go free go bit. to that link, uh, uh, gentle viewer, if you go to the link we've just given you, book.latopia.com, that will take you straight through to the Amazon page, and you can go uh, forth from there. Um, and there you go. We've just sold one. Michelle so, has just got Deadly Focus. Deadly there focus. you are. Thank there you, you Michelle. <laughs> we hope you enjoy that's, it. That's a new of your appearance fee today. <laughs> <laughs> There you go, book.latopia.com. Don't ever say we don't do anything for you. Um, fifth submission of the day, fifth submission of the day. It's already gone so so far. So many more things to talk to Bob and Carol about. Hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll come back and we'll ask them a lot more questions. Book number five comes from Casey. Casey King. It's crime fiction, as it all has been today, and we've enjoyed it a lot. It's called Grave Deceit. And this is Casey's blurb. In the criminal world, everyone is guilty of something. After a failed hit and subsequent murder of a detective, Danielle Lewis returns to Dublin in search for those responsible. An ongoing simmering feud between the Flynn and Lewis families over control of Dublin's drug trade threatens everyone's safety. And when Danielle's cousin, Dean, is shot, warfare erupts. Set against a backdrop of betrayal and deceit, Danielle must wade through this turf war to find the answers she's looking for. Let me tell you about Casey. Uh, Casey King is an avid reader, good, an Irish crime writer. She has a diploma in policing studies. Ooh, um, must get together with Bob and Carol. And over 20 years' experience with the Irish police force. Hmm. Throughout her career, she worked on various gangland operations. So I'm, I'm feeling realism here. And drug investigations. She liaises with writers on proper police procedure, just like Bob and Carol, uh, including best-selling authors Catherine Ryan Howard on her award-winning novel, 56 Days, and Catherine Kerwin's Cruel Deeds. Uh, one of her own unpublished novels received an honourable mention in Amazon Publishing Capital Crime New Voices Award 2021. Uh, under, currently undertaking a Master's in Mindfulness-Based Wellbeing. That's interesting. And you can catch her on Twitter and there's a link there. And most importantly of all, there's a fantastic reading coming up from Emily. Grave Deceit by Casey Read by Emily Chapter 1 The bullet tore a hole through Dean Lewis's shoulder. His arm went limp. Blood splattered the path in front of him. He ran through it. The second shot grounded him as it pierced the back of his thigh. In his head, he was still running. He pulled himself forward with his uninjured arm, leaving a snail slime of red behind him. He rolled onto his back, looked upwards. A couple of birds took off near him. Clouds scattered nature running for cover while he lay exposed on a grotty Dublin estate. 
He hadn't expected the pain to be this excruciating, and prayed he hadn't shit himself. A vortex of silence spun around him as everything slowed. Then a repetitive, dull thud sounded nearby, like a heartbeat. Or was it something else? A football against a wall? Cheers for a score between improvised goalposts, stuff he did as a child. Two young fellas, one with dyed blonde hair standing on the juts at the back wheel of his mate's bicycle, appeared in his line of sight. They'd been in his shadow as he carried out his collections. There was no trusting them, little fuckers. He opened his mouth to roar, but nothing came out. Probably better off. Talk made shreds of reputations. Those young thugs seeing him in this state. A player like him, owing them favours for coming to his aid. No way was that going to happen. They took off after he eyed them. Every person he'd killed flashed into his mind as the balaclava-clad gunman stood over him. The hand trembled as he aimed the pistol at Dean's forehead. Dean's mind raced. He tried to remember what date was, what date would be recorded on his death cert. He listened for the arrival of his crew. They were never far, but no sign of them now when he needed them most. Useless bastards. Any minute the pain would stop. Dean looked beyond the silencer, into the shooter's eyes, fixing him with a stare. Defiant, concealing his confusion his fear. A loud bang cracked the air. The weapon landed on the ground beside him. Dean lunged for it, pointed and fired. The kickback nearly cost him the other shoulder. Fuck, he'd missed. Another explosion nearly split his eardrums. Sirens neared. Rain began to piss down on him. His leg and shoulder throbbed. The pain grew intense. The rawness of his mouth made him want to vomit and swallow at the same time. He spat. The saliva stayed on his lips. He tried to move them, say something but they were stiff and painful, as if they were stitched closed. Strange voices surrounded him. Fuss. White noise. Then everything went quiet. Pressure around Danielle Lewis's elbow gripped tight as her body was shoved into the rear of the car that cut in front of the cab at the head of the taxi rank. She twisted to look through the rear window. Maybe the aggressive horn-honking taxi man would help a lone woman bundled into a motor outside the arrivals lounge of Dublin Airport. But why should he get involved? Her eyes darted from left to right. The car sped to the exit. For once, every traffic light on green. No chance to throw herself from the car. Would her legs even work? They felt weak, useless. The dark, leather interior closed in. Her head spun. Her throat tightened. She pressed her palms onto the seat as her body swayed in response to the driver circling the roundabout. Twice. Checking to see if they were being followed. The old Danielle would have swanned out of Dublin Airport, all high heels and attitude. But this new revamped version, runners in leisure gear, although expensive, would give her the traction to leg it at the first opportunity. Her eyes stayed fixed on the driver as she slid closer to the door and tried the handle. He glanced at her via the rearview mirror, pursed his lips, shook his head and tutted. Do you know who I am? she asked. Silence. I'm a Lewis. Do you know what that means? Silence. Thank you very much, Emily. I just have to say, when Emily uses the F word, it's like it's like a masterclass, really. I mean, it's vir- virtuoso. I, I, it just makes me feel so inadequate. I don't think I'm actually going to use it anymore. Actually. I just can't do it as well as Emily. Uh, 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 let's see. Oh, in fact, Emily, of course, is, is actually live with us in, in the genius room. Emily says, I thought this was a great opening. Fantastic writing. I'd read on. It really grips me. Well, that's that's good to know. And I think there's a general reaction 
Um, Matt says, definitely has the booster rocket described earlier. Starts fast, speeds up. Opening, wor- opening works for me, says James. Emily says, I'm so well practiced. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Johnny. Well, talking about that word, you've got the alternative word in Ireland, of course, as well. You've got feck, which doesn't matter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you can certainly use the word feck. I love this. I absolutely love this. I thought it was excellent. Uh, There were so many good touches to it. And and I got in amongst all that sort of gritty drama. You had lovely little sort of shots of humor in there as well. Freddie didn't shit himself, you know, after he was shot down. Uh, And then there was another great line. What was it? Something like... um, Something, something made sh- uh, shreds of reputation. Oh yes. Talk me through. Yeah, and you know it was just this guy who's obviously a hoodlum himself, uh, worried about what the people in the environment were doing. You know, saying this hard, hard guy. You should have seen him. He was on the grind. He was crying like a baby or something like that. All these sorts of things. I think there was great voice there, which we, you know, we haven't had a huge amount of voice tonight. And I think mm-hmm. this author has a lot of authorial voice. Um, and I'd certainly read all that. I was getting little flavors of Roddy Doyle in there. Yeah, um, you know, it had that kind of. It had the great. It had the greatiness without being overtly over the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pace of it was great. You know, it started well and it, it went on. And then even the the, the, the cut after the Aspresses, uh, you know, who's who's this Danielle? You know, there, there's immediately intrigue set around her as well, and I think I think it's a cracking cracking piece. Fantastic, really fantastic! It. Thank you very much, Johnny. And you're going to press your buttons in a moment. Meanwhile, Bob and Carol. Yes, I will. Yeah. Well, what can you say? Casey, Casey's a girl after my own heart, isn't she? Really, you know, yeah, I think so. she's been there, she's still there, she's done it. But yeah, this is my sort of uh, story. It's fast. It's there. Uh, I'm looking. Uh, the credibility of it, uh, the dialogue was good, and it carried you. He got into it straight away. Mm. Uh, so well done to her. Well done to her because mm. you know it's hard to keep it moving, but it kept moving all the way. I'd read more of this, no problem. Fantastic. That's that's brilliant, actually. Let's have a look at the numbers. Ooh, Casey, my goodness, may I? Did you feel the Earth move just then? I did. <laughs> Oh my goodness! You're 74. Now that's that's a tough score to beat. That is going to be a tough one to beat. Um, I don't know how it's going to be done. Let's have a look at the. I mean, it's clear what um, what the situation is, but we'll still look at the overall scorecard. Yeah, some pretty good scores today, guys. Actually, uh, you should not feel ashamed of yourself by any means, Mark. I thought you were going to be the show winner, um, and I mean, same for everybody, really. But look at that. You just it means just surged into the lead there actually casey so i guess we've got yes we got a show winner <laughs> 74 wow i hope everyone's enjoyed it today i've enjoyed being here hopefully for your entertainment and uh Education? No, probably not, but uh, certainly enlightenment. Thank you so much, Bob and Carol, for being with us today. It's always such a great pleasure to to have you here. And just a reminder, uh, you type that into your browser for the next six and a half days, book.lutopia.com. You'll go straight through to their latest and greatest. Um, thank you to Johnny for being here today and for doing all the wonderful things you do do for Lutopia, including being an amazing voice narrator. And I think it's fair to say... If we all assemble round about this time next week, assuming we all still are here, 
please, Mr. Peter. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's do it all again. Don't panic. See, Thanks see you next time. Yeah. Take care. Not Bye. Hit it.